Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. This is the second week of Advent. So, we are going to actually light our Advent wreath. We're going to light two of the candles, because each week we light another candle. Uh, Jack, I thought you could be my lovely assistant today. You sat right at the front. <laughs> there we go. Um, if you could uh, light this one and another. So, each week we will continue to light them, and then by Christmas Day, we aren't going to be here. We'll be in Lady Barn, but whichever you want, Jack. <laughs> Beautifully done. Now give me the lighter. Thank you. (laughs) So Advent is a time for adoring Jesus. Um, It's an annual season of patient waiting and hopeful expectation. The English word for Advent is uh, from the Latin Adventus, which doesn't mean adventure, as I first thought. It means coming. So it's awaiting the arrival of something that is coming. And um, I like to think that Advent is to Christmas what Lent is to Easter. It's a great time to prepare, reflect and rejoice in what's coming. Uh, And this is relevant for us here in this building, but it's also relevant for the people in our world. So each candle of the four Sundays of Advent represents something different. And today I'm going to be thinking about hope, which is a great thing to think about at Christmas time. And then the next couple of weeks, we're going to continue an Advent series looking at different, um, the different meanings of the candles. So... As I was thinking about hope, I realised it feels a little bit sparse at the moment. Would you agree? (laughs) I know you might have hopeful things, but when you look at the news or, you know, read the papers or go on Facebook, it's always a mistake. It feels depressing and hope feels sparse. But I want you to think, what do you hope for? What right now are you hoping for? We often ask children, what are you hoping for for Christmas? And when I was about 10, I got asked that question. Hannah, what do you hope for for Christmas? And all I wanted was a pair of dungarees and a packet of tangerines, specifically satsumas. They're the best Christmassy ones. And that's all I wanted. That's all I was hoping for. And my mum kept on asking me, what are you hoping for? Probably expecting me to say something else. But that's it. That's all I was hoping for. Then Christmas Day came. I got the dungarees, guys. It was great. And I got my tangerines. But I got something that was even better than I could have hoped for, better than I expected. I got given a keyboard, which I didn't quite, I know, I didn't quite know that I wanted because I didn't want a keyboard, but I loved it so much. I remember that year, my brother Simeon also got a diamond and we both didn't expect those things, but we were like, wow, this is better than we hoped for. And that made me think in um, Ephesians 3 verse 20, it says, God is able to do much more than we could ever hope or imagine. And that's what he did when he sent Jesus at Christmas time. But we often use the word hope interchangeably with wish, want or expect. And we use it so often that hope doesn't mean that much to us at all. So let's look at the dictionary definition. It's always a good place to go, isn't it, for definitions of hope. Wow, it's getting really bad, that projector, bless it. Um, So hope is a feeling of expectation and desire for a particular thing to happen a feeling of trust and wanting something to happen or be the case. The New Testament uses the Greek word for hope, elpis, I think, 
meaning the hope of good, and it's actually the opposite of fear. And I love that, that hope is the opposite of fear. We're going to jump into the Bible now, a great place to start, and we're in Luke chapter 1. And that's in the New Testament of the Bible. Luke is what we call a gospel. So there's four gospels, and uh, they're Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This is the third one. That means good news about Jesus. So it's about Jesus's life. And we're going to start at verse 26, um, which is going to think we're thinking about how hope is surprising. So in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. And you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. So the Holy One will be born and will be called the son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month of her pregnancy. (coughs) For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. So let's think about Mary. She's probably someone you've heard about a lot probably from being a little child in nativities. Um, But Mary was a young woman who lived in a rural village of Nazareth in Galilee, Israel. And historians think she was a really young teenager, maybe like 13, 14, because that was custom at the time for people to get married, well, really young. Um, And she was engaged to be married to this guy, Joseph, who was a carpenter from the line of King David. It's also believed that Mary was a descendant of King David. I'll come back to that in a minute. Mary was Jewish, So she would have been waiting for a saviour, her Messiah. Mary was humble, faithful and chosen by God to be the mother of Jesus. When Mary was visited by this angel, she initially shows fear. I mean, if an angel rocked up in your living room, we're feeling scared, aren't we? I'm feeling scared, especially as I teach year six, right, on a Friday. And this boy, we were talking about this story, and he said, I actually found out that angels sometimes have eyes all over them and look really scary. And I was like, oh, yeah, we don't actually know what angel Gabriel looked like. He might have had eyes all over him and been really scary. We don't know. Who knows? Um, So Mary was visited. She showed fear. And then hope is surprising. She was surprised by this visit. And the fulfillment of the hoping that God's people, including Mary, were waiting for for so long, was coming to fruition in a really surprising way. But amidst Mary's surprise, she shows courage in following God's will for her life. Mary sees so clearly a most remarkable thing about God, that he, through her, is about to change the course of all human history through Jesus. And despite her being a virgin and therefore being physically impossible to be pregnant, Mary did believe in the power of God. She believed 
in his power and that he could use his power in her. But for Mary to have God's power put in her, she had to respond with yes. In verse 38, it says that Mary responded with, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Her yes was a huge deal. She was putting a lot, even her life, at risk. So she's engaged when she becomes pregnant, conceived by the Holy Spirit. Um, By a child, though, that's not Joseph's. So it's not her fiancé's kid. So her society would have seen this as very, very shameful. And in that culture and at that time, Joseph could have had Mary stoned as an adulteress or demanded that her family punish her and even cast her out on the streets. But with all that in mind, all that to lose, Mary still said yes to God. She believed in his power and that the power he would use was in her. It's a pretty big thing, isn't it? And I want you to think, what is God wanting you to say yes to? As we mentioned before, we're in a tough time where hope feels sparse. And it feels like there's quite a big divide between rich and poor. That feels quite massive. And I think I am so blown away by the give big amount that we have raised as a church. And um, if you don't know, like that's all being given away. Church aren't keeping that. It's being given away to help other people. And that's amazing that we do that twice a year. But are there other ways that you can give? I think tithing, um, which means just giving some money each week to church, I think that's a really important thing so that the church can continue to do things like job club and just serve the community. Is it, is it buying someone a coffee that needs it? Little things of love, little acts of kindness that are going to spread that hope. We're also in a time where I think loneliness feels rife. Um, I think we're, we have so many friends on social media, but actually we feel like there's quite a lot of loneliness around. Is God wanting you to say yes to sending someone a text message. It might be small things like this. Consumerism feels like it's overpowering at the moment as well. Is God wanting you to say yes to not buying that thing for yourself so you can serve somebody else? We can say yes in small ways like that or by sending Christmas cards, inviting people to the carol service. That could be a way to say yes. Might be offering to pray with somebody. That can often feel really uncomfortable Um, but actually have really powerful consequences. I remember um, in my first year of teaching, I felt so strongly I need to pray for my partner teacher and she was an atheist. And I was like, can I pray for you, Sally? And she said, yes. I was like, oh, okay, it's fine. And I prayed and then she got a really good observation and came and said, I think your prayer worked. I was like, thank you, Lord. (laughs) Could have, you know, but is God wanting you to say yes and step out and pray for somebody, tell someone about the hope that is within you? Or is it something that might feel a bit bigger that God's wanting you to say yes to? Is it a a job that he's wanting you to take or apply for? Is it something else to do with a life change? Is it letting go of sin and saying yes to more of a life with Jesus? Like Mary, who was literally filled with Jesus, the hope of the world, we're filled with his spirit. You can believe in God's power and that that is in you. And you might be surprised by how he uses the hope that is within you, the hope that is Jesus. Which leads me into thinking how hope is contagious. So we're going to jump back into the passage now at verse 39. So remember, Elizabeth's knocked up as well. Okay, she's pregnant. Um, We found out Mary's now also pregnant. And uh, here we go, Mary's off to visit her. So at that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea 
where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. Probably because at the time, Zechariah couldn't speak, okay? If you read the very first bit of this, he couldn't speak for the whole of Elizabeth's pregnancy. So she probably waved at him and carried on. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice of excitement, she said, blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. When Elizabeth heard Mary, when she was just in the presence of Jesus, the baby within her leaped. He knew there was something precious, so precious within Mary. The hope was contagious. The hope within Mary was contagious to others. And the hope within us That should be contagious for the people around us. We shouldn't be trying to dim our hope, dim our light. We should let it spread. And we've been learning the last three months about now, isn't it, of Practicing the Way, which has been a great series of thinking how we can become apprentices to Jesus, how we can be more like Jesus, live more like Jesus, and make other people see the hope within us. And this made me think about um, my grandma. So she absolutely loved Jesus, probably still loves him while she's up in heaven with him. Um, And I realised when I was a kid, I used to go around and count her Christmas cards. And she would have hundreds. There'd be no space for these Christmas cards. And I'd be like, why does she have so many Christmas cards? And then as I got older, we'd go out for a cup of tea or some lunch. And guaranteed, every time we'd go out to like Broadston Mill, somebody would come up to her and say, excuse me, are you Mrs. Reed? And she'd be like, yes, I am. And they'd say, you taught me, I'm blah-de-blah. And she'd be like, oh, you had an earache once, we put your hat on the radiator and gave you a banana. She'd remember these specific things. I know, (laughs) true story. And I realised the hope of Jesus that was within her, she absolutely allowed to be contagious to others, so much so that 40 years after she'd taught these kids, they remembered her because of that hope. That wasn't because of her, and she would have given all glory to Jesus, but she didn't just have Jesus and then said, oh, this is for me, no one else. She let his love and light shine, and I challenge us to do that. Let our hope be contagious. Hope is also trusting. We need to remember God's promises, because God remembers you. So we're going to think a bit about the context of Jesus coming Um, at the time when he did. So Jesus arrived after years of silence and confusion and longing for Jewish people. And we know waiting is hard, would we all agree? I think so. But this time would have been a time of hoping and trusting in that waiting. They would have had to actively remind themselves of God's promises. And we see These promises that were spoken in the Old Testament, we call those prophecies, we see those be fulfilled in Jesus. So I'm just going to look at a couple now. So we hear that Mary was a virgin. Why is that relevant? Well, in Isaiah, which is in the Old Testament, um, this is a prophecy, uh, chapter 7, it says, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive a son and give birth. And we'll call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So it was prophesied that a virgin, Mary was a virgin, would give birth to a son. So that prophecy, that promise came to fulfilment. It's also mentioned that Mary and Joseph um, are from the line of King David. 
Why is this relevant? Well, again, in the Old Testament, there were prophecies about how the saviour of the world would come from King David. Let's look in Jeremiah chapter 33. And it says, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfil the good promise I made to the people of Israel and Judah. In those days and at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. He will do what is just and right in the land. And those days, um, in those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. This is the name by which it will be called the Lord, our righteous saviour. So clearly about Jesus, isn't it? We know that now. But when this was written around 600 years before Jesus's birth, they were a people without hope. They were a people in waiting. They were in exile. There was destruction of Jerusalem and they would have really, really had to be trusting God and digging deep for that trust at that time. And that's a relevant lesson of hope for us today to trust God no matter the circumstances, to remember God's promises. When we read this now, we're like, oh yeah, yeah, we can see that in Jesus. They, they didn't have the New Testament at the time. They were having to trust, I guess kind of blindly, but trusting God. And I want us to trust God as well. I'm going to continue now in, um, back to Luke, back in the New Testament. And we're just going to see um, what Elizabeth also says to Mary. She says, blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill her promise, his promise to her. That again, we're seeing God's promises be fulfilled. And Mary's response is, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my saviour. For he has been mindful of his humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arms. He has scattered those who and poured into their innermost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but lifted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, again another promise being fulfilled, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. There are prophecies, so many prophecies in the Bible that we see fulfilled in the New Testament, but there are others that we're still waiting for. When, when God answers a prayer for us, answers a promise, I want us to be like Mary. We call that the Magnificat, I think, is that how we say it? Magnificat? Thank you, not in there. Um, that's her song of like praise to God. And we need to remember to praise God when God fulfills his promises to us. But though I'm sure there are things in our lives where we're still waiting. We're still like, oh God, you've said this. Or, you know, we've prayed for this, but why is that not, not happening? Why are we still in this season of waiting? But in that, I want us to continue to pray and trust. When I was a young teen, a long time ago now, I used to wear these super cool wristbands. That some said WWJD and some said push, which means, anyone? Pray until something happens. Oh. <laughs> I think that's a really um, good image, though, about what we should do. When we are in the time of waiting, like those people in Jeremiah's time, we don't want us to just be complacent, like, right, we'll just wait here, have a cup of tea. Instead of waiting and having a cup of tea on your own, wait and have a cup of tea with Jesus. Have a pray. Don't be passive but pursue God in prayer and word in the seasons of waiting. When we hear the news, let's not just let it put us in a pit of despair, but be moved into action. Bring God situations prayerfully. 
and think practically, how can, how can I respond to these things? During Advent, we celebrate the hope that we have in the present because Jesus is in the midst of life's pain, injustice and the unknown. He's in the midst of the waiting. So hope is trusting. If you're in a situation that feels hopeless, like there's no way through, trust God. Hope is trusting. And we need to be reminded that Jesus is the hope of the world. When we see these tough situations and the world feels hopeless, remember Jesus is the hope of the world. And again, we need to show that that hope is within us and show others that hope. We need to let our lives be a song of hope. Like Mary sang that song to God, let our lives sing of his hope, light and love. But our hope is not just found in the birth of Jesus, but in the death and resurrection that we celebrate at Easter time. And it's also found with his presence within us. And we also place our hope in the day when Jesus will return again and his kingdom will bring a time of complete healing and light. But while we're in this season of waiting, we need to hold on to hope and share this hope with those who feel hopeless. And it's great because in this time of waiting, we have the Holy Spirit within us, the helper, as he's called, as it's called, um, with us here in the waiting. Hope is like a light shining in a dark place. And as we look to the light of the candle, candle of hope, we can celebrate the hope we have in Jesus Christ. And I'm just going to read a poem kind of thing that I um, heard by somebody called Reverend Shirley Murphy. And it goes like this. Just let the words wash over you and um, challenge you to remember that hope. So this candle represents a living hope because a living hope begins with Christmas with a little child in a manger, a vulnerable, helpless little baby conceived by the Holy Spirit and born to Mary and Joseph. It is here that hope began. This small child grew in stature and wisdom and hope grew. He amazed others with his teaching and hope grew. He performed miraculous signs and wonders and hope grew. He gathered the broken and the lost and hope grew. He suffered and sacrificed himself on a cross and hope grew. On the third day, he was raised from the dead, appeared to the disciples and ascended to the right hand of God, the Father, and hope grew eternal. And one day he shall come again and bring about God's kingdom on earth. This is our living hope. <laughs>